You are listening to the City on a Hill Sermon Podcast. For more information about our church and to support this ministry, visit cityonahilldfw.com. Thank you. Every teacher needs a roadie. It's true. You know, they, they, their worship team one minute, their roadies the next. Absolutely. I mean, you know. We wear many hats in the we kingdom. We wear many hats, many hats. Good morning. You know, I don't know if you can actually be a senior pastor for church if you can't figure out how to turn the baptistry light on. So, in all the training. Let me, and let me ask you, in the last 25 <laughs> years, when was the last time you ever turned the baptistry light on? <laughs> Well, that's why I have people like, right. you know, exactly. so I don't have to mess with those exactly. kinds of things. Let me tell you what, there was many a time in the early years where I not only turned the baptistry light on, I cleaned the baptistry out, mm. I filled it. Right. I can remember one time. You walked both ways in the I, snow, uphill, barefooted. I, I've heard the story. Hey, hey, I can remember one time where I turned it on and went back to my office, started studying. I forgot about the baptistry. I ran back in there. It was one inch from coming over Ooh. the deal. So I opened the drain to let some out, went back to my office, studied how it emptied the whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) Our water bill that month was horrible. (laughs) That's a great story. But we got them them dunked before it was over with anyway. uh, This is easy stuff here. Uh, You know, a month ago or so ago, I was in Lake Tahoe with the Encounter Men, and we baptized seven men in Lake Tahoe with snow on the ground. Folks, I think that water is about 35 degrees, isn't it not? Yeah. Almost year-round, 32 degrees, 33 degrees. Do I have 34? (laughs) I don't know. It's darn cold. Take your Bibles and turn to Nehemiah, the second chapter this morning. Let's go to Matthew and hang a left and keep going. That means you're in the Old Testament, and you'll eventually get to the book of Nehemiah. Because we are doing a study of the book of Nehemiah that we actually started just last week. This is only the second week. No, this is the third week. This is the third week. Okay, well, senior moment, I, it's okay if I have those, right? right. This is the th- you're right, this is the third week. Mm-hmm. That's right, we did an overview. Meet and greet, yeah. Yeah, we did the meet and greet with Nehemiah. Yep. Okay, I, I'm sorry. Uh, what can I say? We're waiting. We're waiting. Mm-hmm. Let me ask you a question. Does anybody here have a weight problem? I'm not talking about W-E-I-G-H-T. I'm talking about W A. I-T. See, I've never actually had a weight problem until the last few years. Now, my wife has been telling me for about 15 years that I had some, but I didn't really recognize it till the last couple of years. But I have had a weight, W-A-I-T, problem virtually my entire life. And I love the study of Nehemiah because when we come to this second chapter in Nehemiah's story, we're going to learn some valuable lessons about waiting, and that's W-A-I-T-I-N-G. We've titled this series, Under the Influence, because that's what Nehemiah was. He was an influence. He was a normal dude. He wasn't a prophet. He wasn't a priest. He wasn't anything special. As a matter of fact, he was a slave in Persia at that particular time. But he became an influence, and God used him to do some incredible things. Real quick historical survey to put you right back in touch with where Nehemiah falls in in God's timeline through the Old Testament. In 586 B.C., God disciplined his people, the Jews. 
And he allowed the Babylonians to come down and to sack Jerusalem, level the city, level the wall, and level the temple. And that was because they had gone into idolatry. They were no longer following him. And God had spoken to them through the prophet Jeremiah. Remember, Jeremiah is a weeping prophet. He did 40 years. He never had anybody really listen to the message. And sometimes I feel a little bit like the weeping prophet. But Jeremiah had preached and said, God is going to bring a disciplining hand upon his people if you don't turn back to him. And they didn't. And so God allowed the Babylonians to come in, level Jerusalem, and carry the Jews back into Babylon into captivity. Eventually, the Persians captured the Babylonians, and now they were under, for about 150 years, they're under the captivity of the Persian Empire. But God had promised something through Jeremiah also, that after 70 years, he would begin to restore them back to the land. And that restoration, as we've said, happened in three phases. It started with a guy by the name of Zerubbabel, who has a difficult name, but he was a very important guy. And Zerubbabel went back to Jerusalem and rebuilt the temple. The temple needed to be rebuilt. For sacrifice to begin to be offered, for the word to be read. And not long after Zerubbabel finished that, then God sent a man by the name of Ezra to restore the reading of the word in the temple. Because you see, for so long, God's people had been scattered, they'd even lost the understanding of God's word. And so through Ezra, they began the reading, the daily reading of God's word from the temple mount. And the final phase is where our guy Nehemiah comes in. Nehemiah is sent back to finish the reconstruction of the city, but he also is going to rebuild the wall of protection around the city of Jerusalem. And walls were very important because without a wall, an enemy had easy access to come in and do that again. And so that's the context of the book of Nehemiah. God is using Nehemiah to rebuild the wall in order to protect his people, in order to allow the lineage to continue so that ultimately Christ Jesus would be born the Savior of the world out of that lineage of the Hebrew people. But Nehemiah faces some real big problems in being a leader and being a man who has an influence for the kingdom of God. Some real problems that he has to overcome. First of all, that he was born in exile. Nehemiah is three or four generations down after Jerusalem had been destroyed. Nehemiah was not born in, in there. He was born in Persia. Nehemiah had never even been to the Holy Land. He had never seen Jerusalem before it was destroyed or after it destroyed because his entire life had been there in Persia. Not only that, but he wasn't a free man. He was a slave. The Babylonians enslaved the Jews, and then when the Persians came, they kept them as their slaves. He was in bondage to the king of Persia by the name of Artaxerxes. And the third thing was that because of he had nothing. He had nothing. He had no materials with which to build. He had no money to buy materials. He had no experience in building that we know of. None at all. So here he is. He's in this condition, yet he has this heart desire to be an influence for the kingdom of God and to be used of God. And so in chapter 1, as we talked about last week, he got word from some pilgrims that had been to Jerusalem. They came back, and he said, how's it going there in Jerusalem? And they said, it's bad. It's bad. The people are in despair, and the walls are still down, and, and many of the houses have not been rebuilt. And, and Nehemiah gets this burden, this burden to be the one that God would use. And so chapter 1 is really virtually entirely taken up with the prayer that Nehemiah prayed to God. And we're going to find today that God gets it, uses Nehemiah to begin to get this job done. His prayer ends in chapter 1 with a request of the Lord. He says, Lord, make your servant successful today. Now, that's an important word, today. And grant him compassion before this man. 
Now, who is the man that he's asking God to grant him compassion with? The king, the king of Persia, the one to whom he is the cupbearer, the king Artaxerxes of Persia. And so he says, Lord, today I pray that you will give me compassion in this man's sight. So Nehemiah intended to speak to the king pretty quickly, immediately to get this. He's a get-or-done kind of guy, and so he wants to get this done. But he's got to have the king's permission. He's a captive. Now, here's the point. Here's the key point. Derek's going to dig into it a little bit more in a moment, so I won't steal his thunder. Between the time when Nehemiah prayed this prayer, Lord, today give me compassion in the sight of this king, there is an extensive period of time before he actually gets to speak to the king. In other words, Nehemiah is in a period of waiting. I like to call it the meantime. And the meantime can be pretty darn mean, can't it? I mean, here he is, he's prayed up, he's stoked up, he's ready to get it done. And then comes this meantime that he has to deal with, this waiting time. And, the, and, and as I said, the, that meantime can be very mean. And oftentimes, it's in the meantime, that waiting time, when we often make our worst mistakes. And so the message from Nehemiah this morning is how not to make, how not to mess it up in the meantime, how influencers handle this meantime. So here's the question on the table, okay? Here's the big idea. What does an influencer do with the meantime? Mm. And Derek's going to start us off by stating he waits patiently on God's timing. He waits patiently. Now, let's be honest about this. No one wants to hear this, right? <laughs> No one wants to be told, wait patiently. It's the worst phrase in our culture. This is how bad, actually, we hate to wait patiently. Recent survey says 16 seconds is all it takes for people to grow frustrated <laughs> when a web page doesn't load correctly. <laughs> you have 16 seconds. How about this one? 25 seconds before you get frustrated at a traffic light. 22 seconds. I love this one because, gosh, this is so true. 22 seconds is all it takes for you to get frustrated and curse your TV when the streaming platform you're watching doesn't load properly. Wow. Man, patience is at an all-time low. You people suck. Yeah. We do. Bad news for us as Christians, as Christ followers, because patience is a major facet of our faith. It's a super important aspect to being a Christ follower. Romans 12, 12, it says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. And it's like we're telling Paul, you got about 16 seconds of my patience in tribulation before I blow a gasket. First uh, Corinthians 13, 4, love is patient and kind. Not anymore. <laughs> love is neither patient nor kind in 2022. Luckily, it isn't up to us to be patient. I don't have to manufacture patience in my life. The Holy Spirit produces patience in us as Christ followers. It's part of the fruit of the Spirit that Paul talks about in Galatians 5.22, but it's still hard, isn't it? It reminds me of a story of a man that went to a grocery store to pick up some things for his wife on his way home from work. And, and, and that he, was his first mistake. That was his first mistake. And he stops at the store. He begins going aisle by aisle. And he experienced something that many of you probably can relate to. If you've ever been to the store and you're going <laughs> aisle to aisle, have you ever found yourself crossing paths with the same person in like several <laughs> aisles? It's like, hey, there you are again, right? It's just all the way down. They're well, both lost. They're both lost, right. So he's going down the aisle and he comes across a man with a young toddler age boy, his Son, and the boy is asking for some candy, and, and the, the, he hears the father, he doesn't hear the whole conversation, but he hears the father say, now Billy, this won't take long. A couple aisles later, he crosses them again, and this time the, the boy is 
rather agitated. He's, he's not yelling yet, but he's, he's getting louder, asking, demanding for the candy. And, and he says, Billy, stay calm. We'll be done in a moment. He gets to the third aisle, uh, and the boy is having a full-on fit, right? Screaming, kicking his legs, demanding that the candy be his. And he says, Billy, you know, hold on. We're almost out of here. And, and the man is just blown away by this father's patience. I mean, he's, he's not raising his voice. He's really collected the whole time. Even at the, the register, the boy is just, I mean, swinging at his dad and, you know, wanting the candy. And he says, Billy, we're paying right now, and then we'll be right out of here. And, and the man is just, you know, he, he's so just captured by this that he pays, and he quickly catches up with the dad in the parking lot. And he just says, hey, I got to tell you, you know, as a young father, you are really doing a great job with patience with your boy. You're setting a great example for him, and it's really impressive how you've handled this. And the, the guy says, I, I appreciate the gesture, sir, but I don't think you understand. I'm Billy. <laughs> Self-talk, right? Hey, that's going to hit some of you in about 30 minutes, yeah, exactly. okay? Yeah. <laughs> Learning patience is key to become an influencer for the kingdom of God. It was certainly key for Nehemiah. Chapter 1, verse 1 begins back last week. It was, it's just kind of the first few words. You, you breeze by it without even probably noticing you read it. It says, in the month of Chislev, in the 20th year. Now, uh, for those of us in 2022 in Texas, Chislev means approximately nothing, correct? <laughs> Chislev is the equivalent to our November, December. So this tells us a little bit about when the story begins. This is when uh, everything started. That's when Hanani, his brother, comes back from, per- uh, from Jerusalem to Persia. It's when Nehemiah finds out about the desolation of the wall. It's when he prays for, for God to send him, to, to give him uh, an audience with the king and, and to be able to begin this process of going back and restoring the wall. But we get to chapter 2, verse 1, and it says, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes. So we're not in Chislev anymore, we're in Nisan. Nisan, again, doesn't mean much of anything. It is our March or April. So there's a span here of between four and six months that passes in between Nehemiah's prayer for God to give him an audience with the king and for when he actually gets an audience with the king. Think about that for a moment. Use the conservative four-month guess here for a moment. Four months ago, we just finished Trunk or Treat, right? We were making plans for Thanksgiving. We weren't even in the month of Christmas yet. A lot has passed in four months. Four months doesn't seem like a long time, but when you consider what all takes place in a four-month span, it's a, a lot can happen. And so as James said a moment ago, he was ready. He was fired up. Lord, give me an audience with a king. I'm ready to go. And it's been four months, and he's just been waiting patiently for God to do this. Now understand something, Nehemiah was, was ready to go, and because of this waiting time, the question for him was, what do you do in the meantime? And it's the question for many of us as well. What do you do in the meantime? And I want to give you one of our big ideas this morning that we're going to kind of break down. You keep doing the next right thing. You keep doing the next right thing. And a lot of this dovetails into what we talked about in week one with regard to direction. You begin moving in a direction you believe God is calling you to. And you wait for the Holy Spirit to redirect you if that's his purpose. You know, major part of my story involves this very thing here at City on a Hill. Um, I came to faith here in 2007 at this church. I, I have only ever been a member of one church in my entire life. You know, the Bible talks about, you know, husband or uh, pastors, you, elders being a, a one-woman man. You would have been kicked out of other churches. I would have. I would have. But, but think about this. You know, the, the, the qualifications for elder is a one-woman man. I'm a one-church man as well. <laughs> You're even better. I know. You were 21 at the time. 21 right? years old. 21, 21 years old when I came. Uh, I came on staff in 2008 as an assistant. 
And I just began doing anything and everything that I could to grow as a Christian. I took, I took freedom groups. I went to Bible study. I was reading books. I was just doing anything I could. And I sensed early on in my life a call of God to, to come into the ministry. I had no idea what it looked like. I assumed it probably had to do with worship uh, because I, I'm a musician. Um, but I was not educated. I was not trained in any way, shape, or form. And so I just did the next right thing. I went to school. I went to UTA. I earned a bachelor's degree in, in linguistics. And... Um, in 2012, it was my senior year of, of my undergraduate, James gave me the opportunity to preach for the first time. And, and I, I jokingly, I, I tell people this a lot because it's true, I would talk about how, you know, I felt like God was calling me to the ministry. Uh, and the one thing I'd always say to people when they would ask, what do you think God's calling you to do? And I would always say, you know, I don't know, but, but the one thing I'm certain of is, is he does not want me to be a senior pastor, <laughs> for sure. That was my first mistake. So uh, 2012, I, I preached for the first time, and it was there in that moment that I, I believe God really affirmed in my life, this is what you are called to do, to preach and teach. But again, no formal training, no formal education, and so I went to seminary. I earned a Master of Divinity, and, and I graduated in, in 2018, and, and this is where I really want you to, to focus in on, because I think there's a, lot, there's a lot here. In 2018, by human standards, I was ready to pastor and preach every week. I had formal education. I had six years of preaching and doing ministry, pastoral ministry under James. Uh, I was by all human standards ready for the job. I didn't put my resume out there because I believed God was calling me here. This is where my heart was. This is where I felt like he wanted me to stay. But the problem was is James had more to do at that time. And so, again, the question is, what do I do in the meantime? It's 2018. I just graduated. I'm I'm ready. I started I just, checking for bombs under my car. Yeah. <laughs> Poison. You got a cupbearer. Yeah. got me a cupbearer. Yeah. So, so that, was, that was May of 2018. December of 2018, I began doing the next right thing. I started writing our life Bible study ministries. We have since then, we've studied through seven entire books of the Bible, verse by verse. Matthew, Genesis, Colossians, First and Second Peter, Amos, Judges, and then last Sunday we began Luke, our eighth study. And my prayer is that I hope those Bible studies make you better that you grow more, that you mature more in your faith. But I can tell you for certain, they've definitely made me better, 100%. In 2019, I began teaching a class called Putting Together the Old Testament here. And we have since done a New Testament class. It's 45 weeks long. Cults, uh, a study on the, the, the cults, Christian cults, uh, a study on the spiritual gifts. And we are now making our second tour through Putting Together the Old Testament. Again, I hope that those of you who have attended my classes have grown and that you've learned some things about the Bible. I've definitely grown. It has definitely made me better. In 2020, we entered a pandemic. We faced shutdowns. We faced heightened racial tension. We faced political turmoil. It was the hardest year of ministry in the last 75 years, and I think probably every preacher, pastor in America would agree with that. No doubt about it. It was very, very difficult. I grew during that time, right? So here's the idea. That when you do the next right thing, the meantime becomes a breeding ground for growth. I was qualified in May of 2018. I'm a far better pastor, preacher, Christian, husband, man in February of 2022. Because the meantime for us at City on a Hill was not a waiting room, it was a training room. We did a lot of things. We, we continued to press forward. We continued to do the next right thing, waiting for God to in his timing, move us to that next phase. And the question for you is, what are you doing in the meantime? Are you sitting on your hands? Are you waiting for God to move? Have you prayed and you're just sitting stagnant and waiting around? Or are you doing the next best thing? Are you allowing God to perfect you until his timing Mm. comes to pass? Last March, as you remember, 
Uh, I stepped back from the senior pastor role of sitting on the hill that I'd held for 37 years since we started in 1984 and turned that over to, to Derek. I believed that he was ready, and I believed that I knew that the time was right. My role at that time became just the teaching pastor, which meant that I was responsible for what happens on Sunday morning, and Derek and I had been doing that together already, and so we've continued that process. And it, I got to tell you, these last few years of team teaching with Derek has been like a breath of fresh air to me. It has been, after all of those years of it all falling upon me week after week after week, you almost have to paint a, port, a, a brand new portrait every week when you're a pastor of a church and you're teaching by yourself and they compare this week's portrait to what was last week was and is he getting better or is he getting worse and, and all, that's a great deal of pressure. And so the last few years for me has just been a rejuvenation of love for teaching God's Word and, and I have been blessed by having Derek to be able to do that with. And I've basically guided the process, decided where we were going in the message and that kind of thing, and we studied together, and then we divided up. But it's now time uh, for, for me to take another step back. Uh, it's time for me to turn all of this completely over to Derek. He is ready, as he's just said. Um, and so at the end of Nehemiah, I'm going to be completely stepping out of uh, the ministry in a sense here, although I will not be, uh, what I will be doing after that, after we finish Nehemiah, is I'm going to be available to him to stand behind him. I'm going to be available to him to give him a break uh, so that he doesn't have to do what I often had to do for decades, which is just, you know, d depend on myself. And so he'll teach a series, and then I'll come in, and I'll, I'll give him a couple of weeks, and I'll come in and teach, and then he'll plan another series, and, and it's going to be one of those kinds of things. And I, wanna, I want you to understand something. Uh, this is not retirement. This is not retirement for me. I don't have that word in my category, in my vocabulary. I, I am as busy now uh, as I have ever been as a pastor. Uh, and so I'm going to say to you something. There is going to be no party. There is going to be no reception. If someone tries to do one, I will not come. So if you want to throw a party without me, you go right ahead. I won't be there. I don't want that. I don't want that spotlight. I don't want, I don't want all that mess. I, I, I'm not retiring. I am transitioning into a whole different era of my life. And you've watched it happen over the last few years. We knew it was going to happen. That's why I began to breathe into Derek years ago to, because I knew there was going to be a time when my life was going to transition, that God's timing in my life was going to be right for this to happen. And with the uh, release of the Fearless Series for Women last March, and now I've begun production on the Fearless Series for Men, as well as teaching around the country in churches about hospital church ministry, how to do that. That, that by the way, folks, you created. Yeah. You are the laboratory. You are the ones that have done this. This isn't about me. When I go around the country teaching, I don't talk about me. I talk about City on a Hill because this is the laboratory where all of these principles, where all of this has been hashed out. You are, in today's terms, you're the essential workers. When we talk about sick people around the country, we don't talk about us. Yeah, we I talk, don't about talk about you. I, <laughs> <laughs> I talk about all those sickos that I left in Fort Worth and how nice it is to be with some healthy people for a change. But we've all watched this happening, and, and this transition has been going 
uh, has been in the making for years. And there's been a very long meantime. That, that's kind of the, why we decided to go ahead and make this announcement. Now the elders are aware of this. This has already been cleared by them. But we were, when is the right timing to make this announcement? Since we were dealing with this whole thing of the meantime, I've been in a meantime in my life for many years. Derek has been in a meantime. And, and we're really rejoicing today yeah. at God saying, now I will grant you favor in, the, in front of the king. Yeah. In other words, now is the time. Um, and, and I just want you to know, I, I, I can honestly say this, folks. Uh, I have no regret. Oh, well, I have regrets of things that made mistakes I made in ministry. But I get to do what very few pastors in the ministry ever have the privilege and the honor of doing. I, get to spend, I got to spend 20, 37 years in one place, starting from virtually scratch. To, and, and, and the opportunity and the privilege and the honor by God to raise up the next generation of leadership so that when the time came... I could step back confidently that this ministry is in wonderful hands. That the ministry of the hospital church at City on Hill is in great hands. In fact, I get to step out of this role with the full and total confidence that he's going to do it better than I ever did. And there are very, no doubt about it, I'm extremely proud of Derek. Um, <laughs> Thank you, thank you. I'm proud of what he. I'm proud of what he has become, and the meantime for me is over, and it's over for him. And I, I, I do want to add. I do want to add one thing. When, when James and I started talking about this uh, several weeks ago, you know, my vision for how I would lead is always been to include breaks in between series with other voices not because i i think i need the breaks i it would be great to have the breaks but because, me, you need them. yeah but because i think it's it's as important for you to hear other perspectives from other voices from other people who teach differently who have different uh, a heart for for different things a call to different things passions for different ideas and so my plan has always been to find someone that I could lean on for two or three weeks at a time in between series to just say, take it. And, uh, you know, uh, Chris has done a great job, and, and we'll see him some as well. But, but I, listen, I would be crazy. It would be the craziest and most foolish thing in the world to not make a pitch to James to stick around and preach in those, in those off, off times. And, uh, and, of course, he was... was very willing and excited to do that. And so it's just a win-win-win. What God has done here is really, an, it's, it's amazing. Uh, I stand in awe of it every day um, that we have gotten to do what we have gotten to do and that we're going to continue to get to hear about what he's doing. James is not rolling off the staff. He's still going to be on staff. He's still going to be doing... Uh, kind of apostle to the churches. I yeah, guess. yeah. City on a Hill ambassador or apostle, if you will, where he's going to be going and doing this Fearless series, uh, both for women and men in other places, and carrying this message to other churches and mm -hmm. helping them be equipped to do the kind of things that we're doing. And so it really is a kind of an amazing thing that when I sit back and think of it, it, it could not have been done by us. And uh, when you think about the statistics of churches that uh, the average tenure of a pastor is somewhere around six years, 
Uh, in our denomination, it's somewhere around three and a half to four. Uh, we've been privileged for 37 years to have him, and uh, I'm hoping to privilege you for 38 just so I can one-up him. So that's my goal. Um, it all depends on when he starts the meter. Yeah. yeah. Well, Does technically March. March is when I'm going from, from oh. senior pastor. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I'm giving you a break here. I've you're been here good, since 2007. But, uh, I'm not going anywhere. No. City on the Hill is my heart. It is my life. It is my church. I will be here when I'm not in a church somewhere around the country teaching and preaching. I will be here. This is my home. Yeah. This is my family's home. Yeah. Isaiah 40, 31 says, They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They will, shall run and not be weary. And they shall walk and not faint. Mm. You see, that verse is often quoted but often misunderstood as well. What it means to wait upon the Lord is not act inactivity. It means to serve Him. It means to wait upon Him. It means to serve Him. And the Hebrew word that is translated as renew their strength literally means to exchange. And so what God is saying, and this is literally what he's doing in my life, it's what he's doing in, in Derek's life, is that as we have waited upon the Lord, God has been exchanging our weakness for his strength to mm. bring us to this particular point and this particular time. And that's what he does in the, in the meantime. When we wait upon him, when we continue to serve him, when we continue to do the next right thing, as Derek has talked about, then he renews, he exchanges his strength for our weakness and enables us to get that done. So we're going to close for the next last 20 minutes before we finish here and give you some practical instruction out of this text of those things that Nehemiah did, what the next right thing looked for him to be doing in the meantime. And the first thing Derek's going to talk about is that he was praying persistently. He was praying pers persistently, and, and this is something we've spent a lot of time on last week. James talked about what it means to pray without ceasing, you know, this, form, this sort of habit form prayer or spontaneous end-the-moment prayer. And so instead of retreading this, uh, I thought it would be really helpful for you guys. I found a great video that is very helpful, just some prayer tips to sort of enhance your prayer life. To be able to pray without, you know, ceasing. Yeah. So go ahead and check it out. Hi, I'm Johnny. And I'm Chachi. We're getting here ministries. You know, a lot of people come up to us and ask us hard questions about God and the Bible and spiritual living. And you know why a lot of those questions are softball questions for us? There are actually some pretty good ones. One of them being, how do I have a better prayer life? Well, good news, we got some killer tips to a better prayer life. Before we do that, though, let's start off with a title and some dance moves. No, we're not doing a title and a dance. Let's just kind of get into this. When you're saying a prayer in public, you want to use the phrase Father God as much as humanly possible. Just last week, I said a 30-second prayer and got 17 Father Gods in it. Now look, I'm not bragging. I'm just saying with a little bit of effort, it can be done. If you have a prayer request, but don't actually want to request it, simply say, unspoken. I currently have six unspokens that I'm praying for this guy about. Johnny, sorry to bother you, but I actually have another prayer request. Okay, what? It's unspoken. <laughs> okay, well that's seven. And while I have no clue what I'm praying about, Someone does. Just no one human. The Bible says pray without ceasing. And well, we believe in the Bible. Chachi has been praying without ceasing for over 32 hours now. Chachi, how do you feel? 
What, who said what? Where, where am I? Well, Chachi, you have been praying for over 32 hours straight. You feel pretty good? Can I get a restroom break? <laughs> Not if you want to fully obey scripture. Let's say you become privy to some juicy information about someone, but don't want to be seen as a gossip. We've got good news. You're good to go if you put it in the form of a prayer request. I still cannot believe what Jill said to Keith. I can't believe it either, but did really? you know that John got canned? What? Are you, are you... Let's talk about it in a prayer group. Some think your prayer position is irrelevant, but we have found that your prayer position can not only boost your prayer life, but can stretch you physically. Chachi, why don't you go ahead and show us some examples? Well, I wasn't really planning on praying, but I guess I could give it a shot. Okay. Oh, very nice. Good, that is classic. Wow. Seriously, wow. The last thing you do when you pray is fairly obvious. You say, amen. And if you happen to be in a group of people holding hands, it's imperative that you accompany that amen with a physical action known as the hand squeeze. The squeeze lets the people on either side of you know, hey, the prayer's over. I care about you, but I'm letting go now. And when you are holding hands, never interlock, because that can make your prayer partners a little uncomfed. We want to thank you for watching, or shall I say growing, in your prayer life. Yeah, now can we do the, the title and the dance moves? No, just kind of say thanks for watching. And That's seriously unreal. This is actually my miracle position. <laughs> there you go. Hey, hey. Yeah. We have to laugh at ourselves, don't we? We gotta laugh. Let me share one really serious, actually important point about the importance of persistent prayer. Uh, and I've got a truth for you. Prayer doesn't change God, it changes me. Mm -hmm. That's really the truth. When I, when I pray persistently, I don't pray persistently in hopes of changing God's mind, right? That would make me God. I don't pray to change him. I pray to change myself, to align myself to his will, to prepare my heart to receive what the Father intends to give me. And that's the first thing we see Nehemiah doing. He's praying persistently throughout this meantime. Secondly, he perseveres in loyalty. I love this fact about Nehemiah that he did persevere in prayer. And, and that did keep him in touch, not only with the vision that God had given him, but it kept him in touch with the Lord. But the second thing that's so important about him, and I think this is one of the things, the great lessons we need to learn from him, is he didn't stop what he was doing in the meantime. Yeah. He continued to do what he had been doing before this vision was even planted in his heart. So in other words, waiting doesn't mean quitting what you're doing. And perhaps you've heard uh, around here, where we say, what do you do when you don't know what to do? Well, how about before you even know the next right thing to do? What do you do? You keep doing the last right thing that you need to do. That's right. If God gives you a next right thing, then you do that. If you don't have a next right thing, what do you do? You keep doing the last right thing that you knew to do. You see... The, here's a principle. Persever, perseverance where you are, as Derek said a moment ago, is preparation for where God is going to take you in the future, where God wants you to be. So it really boils down to this whole issue as a matter of integrity. 
During the meantime, the meantime, test your integrity. Now, that's very, very important. Can you keep, here's the question, can you keep doing something that you really no longer want to do because your heart and your mind has already gone on to the other thing? Can you keep doing faithfully what you were called to do the last thing until God gives you the next thing to do? And in chapter 2, verse 1 of this, Nehemiah states this. He says, now I had not been sad in the king's presence. He's talking this four to six months. He had not been moping around. He had not gone around with a long face. He hadn't been slacking off on his job before the king. He just kept doing, persevering. He kept being loyal where he was. He was the cupbearer to the king. It was a high place of trust. Even though he was a slave, he was a servant. He tasted the king's wine before the king drank it. In case somebody had poisoned, wanted to poison the king, well, the cupbearer would die. Now, that was a place of real trust because the king's life was at stake if he could trust this, this cupbearer. And so he had risen for some reason to this place of position and trust. And now the question was, are you going to continue to be trustworthy in that last place where you were? Evidently. Even though he had not been sad in the king's presence, the, president, the king picked something up and he asked the question. He said, why are you sad? And that opened the door after four months, after the meantime, for Nehemiah finally to make his request to the king. You see, folks, I can't emphasize this enough, how important this principle is. That to be faithful where you are, even if it's not some place that you want to be right now. Because how faithful you are right now is going to is an indicator of how faithful you will be in the next place. Jesus told us that. If you're faithful with a few things, you will be faithful with many. If you're not faithful with a few things, you'll not be faithful with many. I've often had this experience. Someone will come and say, I'm going to quit my job. Oh, yeah. This is good. And I say, I can't tell you how many times this has happened. I say, really? Wow, you got a better job lined up? And they go, well, no, I just don't want to do this one anymore. I just believe that God has something better for me out there, and I'm not going to argue with that. And I say, okay, is that really wise, though? Isn't it easier to get a job when you already have a job? Won't a potential employer wonder why you're unemployed, why you quit that last job? Don't you think that God is capable of showing you where he wants you next while you're still where you are? Yeah, but God doesn't want me working this job, though, James. Oh, uh, well, okay. <laughs> but but God, how are you going to pay the bills? Prepare your, yeah, how provide you for your family. How are you to put food on the table? What if it <sighs> takes months and months and months before God opens the door for this next job? Is it wise for you to put, deplete all of your savings? I mean, I've heard that come back a million times. I'm not saying that God can't work in that situation. I'm just simply asking the question, is it wise? You see, Nehemiah didn't just say, all right, going to Jerusalem. <laughs> I'm going to quit Bearing the cup for the king, I don't want to do this anymore. This is slave work, and I'm going to be the big kahuna back in Jerusalem. No, he just kept faithful, 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 faithful where he was. And in the midst of that faithfulness, God was preparing him for the moment when God would open the door. And that's the third thing he did. He prayed persistently. He persevered in loyalty. And then he prepared. Now, get this, folks. This is another thing you do in the meantime. He prepared for when God would open the door. Yeah. Notice verse 3. It says, the king finally asked him, well, why are you sad? And Nehemiah says, well, 
cat's out of the bag. He says king because of the conditions in Jerusalem that he'd heard about four to six months ago. And the king, now watch this. Watch this progression. Verse 4, the king says, well, then what are you requesting? The king already, his heart's already been turned. And he says, well, what do you want of me? What are you requesting of me, Nehemiah? In verse 5, Nehemiah says that you, O king, will release me to go rebuild it. Verse 6, the king asks, well, how long will it take? And the scripture says that Nehemiah gives him a time. So obviously, Nehemiah had actually kind of thought this project out. Verse 7, Nehemiah says to the king, and by the way, king, I love this. (laughs) That's my loose translation of the Hebrew. And king, it would be great if you would give me letters of passage to the governors of all the provinces that I'm going to have to travel through. Because they're not going to want me to travel through their lands. But if I got a letter from you, no problem. Going to squeeze right through there. Then verse 8 it says, and by the way, I also need a letter to Asaph, the keeper of your forest king, so that I can cut as much timber down as I need to rebuild the gates and to rebuild the wall around the city. You get this? And in verse 8 it says, and the king granted it to me because the good hand of the Lord was on me. Why was the good hand of the Lord on Nehemiah? Because Nehemiah had prayed persistently. Nehemiah had persevered where he was in loyalty. And obviously, Nehemiah had done some thinking and preparation for when the door opened, when he had the opportunity. He said, well, this is what I need, king. I need your permission. I need letters to the governors. And I need to be able to cut all your forests down if I need them to rebuild the city. Mm. And the king granted it because the good hand of the Lord was upon me. Thirdly, let's talk about this for a minute, and we've got eight minutes. We can do it. We can do it. We're professionals. We're professionals. Praise (laughs) him when the answer comes. Notice that Nehemiah was not idle during this time, as James just mentioned. He's busy praying, persevering, preparing. He was active, in other words, in the meantime. And when the king finally gives the green light, he didn't say, finally, I've achieved my goals. That's right. Look at how awesome I am. Look at how great Look at what I I've am. done. What I love done. me some me. No, he said in verse 8, and because the gracious hand of my God was on me, the king granted my request. This is all God. This is all God's doings. This is all the work of, of the Lord. And so we got three closing applications, and they're quick ones. As you are going through this process of in the meantime waiting and doing all the things that we just talked about. Let me ask you a question. <clears throat> yeah. Is this practical for you? Have you had some mean times in the past? Some of you are in one right now. And if you're not, wait till next week. Yeah. <laughs> it's coming. I mean, this is about as practical an example. The New Testament says that all these things happen to the Old Testament people as, as examples. examples for us. Yep. What we can learn about how God works. So, knock yeah. them out of the park. Yeah. Number one, changing hearts is God's specialty. You need to remember that. You're going to face opposition. You're going to face resistance in what it is that you believe God is calling you to do and what you are praying for God to send you to do. And you need to know this. This is so important for you to get this. You cannot change their heart, but God can. God can. And so whatever work you think it requires to change their heart, stop doing that work. It's not your work to do. You Mm. allow the Lord to change their heart. I love that proverb that says, the heart of the king is like a stream in the hand of God. Yes, he channels it. He channels it. He, he directs it. He directs the heart. Number two, patience does not mean inactivity. Patience is all about what you are doing in the meantime. When we talked at the very beginning about waiting patiently, we hate that term, right? 
But what are you doing in that meantime, in that patience time? Are you praying persistently, petitioning to God to remove the obstacles, to send you, to do the thing that he has put on your heart? Are you persevering where you are? Are you continuing to do the things that you are currently responsible for doing? Are you preparing for when God will move you such that when the time comes, you have all of you, everything you need right there to request? Remember that patience, the meantime, is not a waiting room. It is a training room. Amen. When you go into the meantime, you should come out of the meantime stronger, more equipped, and more prepared for what it is that you believe God has called you to do. You know, young people, the greatest thing you can do if you're not married is start preparing to get married right yes, now. Yes, absolutely. It, it seems like we always wait, oh, okay, I found the person, now I'm going to start getting ready. Right. No, you're getting ready your whole life. Let everything be a preparation time for it. If you sense that God's going to take you to another vocation, what do you do? Well, you don't wait until the job applications come out before you start training for that. Start training. Start doing your due diligence right now. This is what happens in the meantime. Yes. As we pray, as we persevere, and as we prepare, then in God's timing, he says, now you're ready. You've been faithful. And number three, and I'll let James finish on this one. I love this. Expect, I love this. expect opposition. In verse 10, immediately when Nehemiah takes off on this thing, there are two guys that rise up, and you're going to hear their names over and over as we go deeper into Nehemiah, two guys named Sanballat and Tobias. <laughs> now, who these guys actually are, they're two petty governors that did not want Jerusalem restored. So their little, their little fiefdom was, uh, you know, around Jerusalem. And they really wanted Jerusalem to stay vulnerable. They wanted the, the, the wall to continue to be down. And so when Nehemiah went back to get this, Sanballat and Tobias did not want this to happen. So they do everything they can to stop the work, to oppose what Nehemiah is doing. And, and I, I love to call these guys the two crows. <laughs> Are all, any of you old enough to remember the cartoons of the two crows? What were their names? Heck, was it Heckle and Jekyll? Okay, Heckle and Jekyll. I mean, you know, they're, they're just always pecking and, you know, getting in the way and crapping on everything and all this kind of stuff because that's what crows do. And that's kind of Tobias and, and, and Sandbound. In fact, when he started building the wall, they said, oh, look at that wall. It's so weak. A little fox could get up on the wall and fall it down. And he's, they do everything they can to discourage Nehemiah, to discourage the people. So when you're doing what God wants you to do, expect opposition. Yeah. You know, I hear people say, man, this opposition, this must, God must, must not be honoring this. No, that's probably a good sign God is honoring it. Because if you're not doing anything that the enemy hates, he has no business with you. But if you're doing something that matters for the kingdom of God, you're going to have opposition every single day. That shouldn't be a discouragement to you. That should be an encouragement. I'm in my lane. Yes. I'm in the place where the Father wants me to be. So when the Tobiases and the Sanballats begin to rise up and the discouragement and the fear and all of, and the naysayers begin to rise up, say, you know what? That doesn't discourage me. That just energizes me because that tells me I'm where God wants me to be. That's right. I'm going to pray for you for your mean times. And some of you, you've been in a mean time of trusting Christ with your life. Oof. You know, you've just been kind of hanging out there for a lightning strike or writing on the wall. I'm going to tell you, the only time God wrote on somebody's wall in the Bible, it, it was, wasn't good. No. They couldn't read it, first of all. Yeah, it was in Persian. It, yeah. was, uh, it was many, many tickle yeah. you, Parson. You've uh -huh. been weighed in the balance, and you have been found wanting. 
You don't want God writing on your wall. You want him writing on your heart. That's right. So let's pray. Father, thank you for reminding us through this man, Nehemiah, that we all have a section of our wall that's the meantime. And that there are places and times as we walk around this wall that you've built that we come to those moments, those mean times when we must stop. And what he did and how you honored that and how you gave him victory over the opposition because he just refused to listen to them. In fact, it was encouragement to him to know, oh, I must be doing the right thing here because there are evil people that are wanting to get in the way. Thank you for that encouragement. For the people right now in this body of believers that are in a meantime, it may be in a relationship, it may be in, in, in a job, it may be in some area of ministry, and they just really don't know where the, what's going to look like in the future. I pray you'll give them the heart to continue to open their heart to you right now, to persevere in loyalty where they are, and then to begin to prepare as much as they can, to fill in those gaps in their understanding and their knowledge base and in their in their ability base so that when you open that door they can walk right through it and and look back and go wow this was this was a god only he could have made this happen and he did because the good hand of the lord was upon me so i pray for someone in this room that's been sitting in the meantime about committing their life to jesus christ as lord and savior that you move your spirit would open their heart right now to say, it's time to, it's time to do it. It's time to go. For your people who need to look to you, persevere, prepare, and pray persistently. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. God bless you. And I didn't get one Father God in there. <laughs> Hey, you do have inviter cards in your seats. If you would take one of those and read that, we need uh, all the help we can get. Bless you.